The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. happening welcome to another mock draft here on the on the corner podcast my name is nick pollock and we've already done two of these so far we're on to our third and today it's with alexander chase you know him from the duckout study l podcast you find him on twitter at chase underscore rates chase it's good to see you man hey you nick um that underscore you know still killing me but other than that you know <laughs> good to be here oh, i'm so sorry that someone beat you to the chase rate punch on twitter uh, but uh, but yeah, I know I gave you a very quick uh, overall um, resume for you. But yeah, talk a little bit more about yourself. You know, it's it's been an interesting uh, kind of two years or so kind of in the process. I remember emailing you um, as the 2019 season kind of came to a close because I'd like started playing around with some stuff that I've kind of built out since then. But uh, it's been uh, fun hanging out in the Discord and occasionally writing. Um, it's kind of what it feels like sometimes. But uh, yeah, this past year I did a weekly relief pitcher chart stuff which was really fun because that was an area i hadn't spent as much time looking at previously really made me think Mm. about small samples but yeah the the projects i've kind of done i have taken an original article about why the espn player rater was bad and blew that up into a whole bunch of stuff about how we can do um dollar values and like how we evaluate people that way i spent a whole lot of time looking at hard hit data and you know why we should do basically every set under the sun that plate appearances and uh yeah i've been playing around more recently with era estimators so a lot of just like playing with numbers rather than playing with like people's data so something like a mock draft is a nice okay i actually have to sit down and try to use this stuff um, exercise for me and uh you know definitely read chase's articles it's essentially uh what you can do actually with pl plus you can make a filter for just authors and for me it's a must read every single time chase puts out an article uh, but today, we are going to be checking out your mock draft. So everybody, you can uh, follow the link below in the description of this podcast to find the full draft board. Um, this is a 12-teamer, 23 rounds, 5x5, five five, Yahoo Standard Leagues. That means three outfielders, two utility, uh, one catcher, all that fun stuff. Otani is two different players. Uh, eligibility Brown. is five games started or 10 games played. And so, Chase, for you, you were in the 10th spot. And what I like to ask a lot of people was, that: did you go out of your way to get the 10th spot? Was this one that just fell to you? And in general, do you like this spot in the draft? 
Um, so I was the last person to fill out my draft spot, sort of accidentally. <laughs> um, I hate it here. This was a terrible spot to be. Um, I suppose I hate it a little bit less than maybe being literally on the turn. My ideal spot for this draft is about fifth. Um, and then like branching off from there. I don't want to be first because I want someone to fall to me that I like better um, than other people. Maybe um, I don't want to be last because I think there's a huge drop off after about Jose Ramirez slash Otani in terms of like the guys that really can steal for you and also do everything else. So I don't love being 10th. Um, that said, uh, do, do you want me to just go ahead and like give away who I actually picked here tenth? Because it's kind of funny. Well, I mean, ev- for me to be all everyone, everyone can see that. Of course, I'm just happy that you <laughs> said Jose Ramirez because that's who I took in the seventh spot and felt like Good it pick. was the last Good one I could really trust. I I'm not one to go after Otani. I know he'll go in the first round. I just have worries about health for next year, especially if they're going to take the kids' glo- kid gloves off once again. Um, mm-hmm. But that could just be me being stupid about health and. I don't know, but uh, I felt happy. Good Jose Ramirez. I kind of like that seventh spot because I see him as the seventh behind you know Soto and, and Bichette as well. And having mm-hmm. one of those top seven to me is very uh, works out well. And hey, maybe you even get a starter in there too that even pushes it back so I can have more choices. But uh, but you went tenth and you took Mister Tried and True calf injury himself, Mike Trout. One really interesting conversation I had at first pitch Arizona was with Ariel Cohen who had a conversation actually with your fourth round guy, what kind of time uh, or playing time consideration did you have with his 10th pick? And yeah, talk to me about Mike Trout. So I full disagree with Ariel Cohen's analysis, and I think he's got some stuff a little bit backwards here. Um, I've read a little bit about this. I didn't hear his talk, but I've seen what he said on Twitter. So the problem with the way that I think he and Fangraph's auction calculator and Rouse Ball, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, always approach this problem is they mathematically assume that a game missed is a zero in your lineup. And that's just not true. If Mike Trout gets hurt and goes in the injured list, then I will have my 23rd or so round pick or someone I pick up off the waiver wire playing instead. You have to account for those differences. And Mike Trout on a game-per-game basis is going to be up there with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. If you're trying to win your league, you need Mike Trout or your first round pick, whoever it is, to stay healthy. Um, so, like, yeah, I guess my chances of, like, de- devastatingly losing are maybe a little higher if I think his injury recurs. But you need him to stay healthy anyway. Um, so I'm a little bit less worried about that. Mike Trout was substantially better than Teoscar Hernandez on a game-per-game basis. Now, I still love Teoscar. We'll get to him in a second. But right. so long as people continue to just do the math wrong and how value works and, and I don't get it, actually. Uh, Ariel's well, really good I, I at all this say, stuff. I mean, it makes a lot more sense in, say, 15-teamers where that replacement value is lower. And also, when we think of, say, NFBC, that's not a roster spot for you. That is mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that is on your bench. You do not get an IL spot in NFBC. Right. So there is a much larger drop in value in that way when it is actually a bench spot the entire time. And not to mention, um, you know, Mike Trout coming off a of calf injury. We saw how it affected Josh Donaldson. Uh, the security... It isn't quite as there too right i i think the particulars uh if you're like really are worried about mike trout's calf can we even call it a calf i think i'm gonna steal this joke from someone else it, it's more like an entire cow um oh wow yeah <laughs> i love it um uh, yeah now i think that the worry there is real that maybe this is like more than just the standard calf injury that we thought it was that keeps you out for a month and change and you know you actually rest it and you can come back fully healthy um if it's more than that that's scary um, we don't know that it's more than that. I imagine the Angels probably knew where they were as a team and 
I also wouldn't be surprised if there was a little bit of incompetence somewhere along the way. But I think that discussion is all like information we don't have here in October. We're probably not going to have for a while. As best we know, Mike Trout, even if he doesn't try to steal a single base next year, is going to hit for a ton of power. So some more recent Trout things that have happened. You know, he seems like he's been a little bit more aggressive. I like Otani and Rendon hopefully being healthy next year around him. But I think the the supporting cast beyond the big names has stepped up in some significant ways in recent years. I think that we can probably trust the Angels to be a top ten offense next year. Um, I mean, you can never trust that range more Angels. often than we think. The Angels are um, always. <laughs> Uh, we never really know what is going on. It's the pitching in, uh, that's usually the, the worst thing there, right? They they that's actually fair. are typically a top 10-ish offense, and I think they're going to be that spot again, which means, you know, I, I think he's going to, if he's choosing to be more aggressive, he can put up those huge home run numbers that actually keep him in the first round. Whereas, you know, for a lot of his career, he was happy to take a walk. And, you know, that definitely capped a bit of his fantasy value, actually. He's still walking a good bit, but he's been striking out a bit more and being much more aggressive and trying to actually go after the home runs, which I do think kind of make him a little bit more of like a, a commodity I want. And I also do think if I'm playing particularly in a head-to-head league, um, I would rather have people who are uh, going to help me shore up the run RBI home run categories because those are actually going to be a little bit more stable week to week. And if you're substantially better than your opponent in those categories, your chances of getting those three out of 10 points are much higher than if you're like, on average, a steal and a half better than your opponent in one week. Like, if you're beating someone on average by like 10 or 15 points of batting average, that's only a hit or two sometimes. Mm. Like, it's not that big of a difference. So strategically, I think that if you're playing in a head-to-head league, um, if Mike Trout misses three weeks in May, that doesn't substantially impact your ability to make the playoffs. If he steals a little bit less, it doesn't substantially impact your ability to win steals week to week. Um, but giving yourself that elite, elite, elite floor in those other three categories is what I care about most. And, you know, you're talking like we definitely do approach things differently for NFBC versus for other things. I'm saying all this for Mike Trout, and it's just it's filtering through my entire analysis of the rest of this type of draft. So it's not really particular to him. But if I'm forced to take him because I'm 10th, and I don't think I'm forced to, but he's, he's the best guy here, it's really informing the way I'm going to look at everything else. Sure. All right, so let's move to the second round here. Uh, you took the second pitcher off the board. For me, he's my SB1, but honestly, it's it's Corbin Burns and Garrett Cole are just neck and neck. If you want a little bit more stability, I think Cole is a little safer, but the fun guy, of course, is Corbin Burns, who could be unleashed for close to 200 innings by the Brewers next year. And so with Burns off the board by Ben Palmer, then pick before you went with Garrett Cole, was your goal to go after a start in the second round? Absolutely. Uh, I thought it was the only reasonable choice. I actually couldn't pick between the two in the previous round. I was really considering picking one of them with a 10th overall pick. I let the wheel determine, figure like figure out who I got, and I got Cole. Um, so thanks, Ben. Made that decision a lot easier. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think... Last year only, obviously, the, the signs of Garrett Cole needing to figure some stuff out this offseason are a little mildly scary, you know, like a 1.5 out of 5 worry meter for me. Uh, whereas for Burns, they just have no concerns. Dude is awesome. Um, but, you know, Garrett Cole got paid umpteen bajillions of dollars to play professional baseball for a reason. I think he comes back from like the needing to figure out what the deal is with his fastball. And he will really, really excellent last year, even like post spider talk he was still really really excellent on all the underlying stuff so i don't have much worry here 
And um, yeah, I think that if this is what's going to happen, that I get Mike Trout and Garrett Cole with my first two picks, I would be really happy in a draft. Right. With, with the Cole coming back from the spider attack thing, I think he tried to do a different approach, really, with more low fastballs and trust his heater up in the zone like in previous years. Um, it still had a 14.5% swing strike rate across the full season. Uh, strike rate was still very good. It, it was still an excellent pitch, not necessarily the 2018-2019, really. Uh, 19% swing strike rate had in 2019, but still an excellent offering. He threw it harder than ever um, at 98 miles per hour as opposed to the 97 in 2019. Uh, the the slider was a little bit worse. Um, not Not really that dramatically so, but he wasn't as he didn't have the same command of getting the pitch down and into lefties and it found himself in um well put him himself in positions where he wanted to throw that pitch and in typical terms he would do that but in several on a fastball then the fastball got hit and it bothered me a little bit he never really found that groove post spider tack so i like to think that give him the offseason he knows what he's dealing with and now he can you know he knows how to figure this out um he'll do testing with his fastball and get the confidence back in it and so on and so forth uh, you should see the old Garrett Cole and the old Garrett Cole still this past year, uh, 323 ERA, 106 whip, um, gave you 243 strikeouts, regardless of the 181 innings. It wasn't 200. I uh, remember he had that hamstring injury and he kind of didn't look exactly the same after he got a little bit banged up, of course, in the uh, knocked around in the playoffs. I imagine Cole should be really good. So yeah. I, I would feel great yeah. about it. Second round, you know me, I don't take starters in the second round, yeah. but that's because I'm bad at, at getting hitters in season and I don't want to deal with that. So, right. Actually, this is a interesting explanation of how I think you and I are like probably drafting differently, but based off of the same sort of logic, I feel really good at evaluating hitters in season because, you know, I know what I'm looking for in terms of like the markers that someone has figured out and is reliably going to produce going forward. I don't always feel the same way about starting pitchers. I I do feel like I have some tools there, but I just feel better about finding hitters. So I, I wanted to get, you know, one of these top end guys, give myself a chance to like, you know, get a little bit ahead. And, you know, if, if I'm playing in the league with other people who know pitching better than me, potentially, I want to have these sorts of guys. So um, I also Absolutely. think that. You know, when it comes to Cole in particular, the fact is we have a lot of data on how good he is and the particular type of good that he is. Uh, you know, he's going to give you innings and great, you know, strikeout rate numbers. You know, he is his 33.5% strikeout rate last year means more when he's facing more batters. Um, right. So, yeah, those huge strikeout totals are meaningful to me. Uh, 243 like Zach Wheeler had 247 and we think of Zach Wheeler being a guy who puts up a ton of volume uh, Robbie Ray got to 248 and, and this is with him being not fully his best self and not pitching as many innings as those guys were so yeah, he's dumb good exactly uh third round Manny Machado I, I I'm a huge fan of Manny Machado for fantasy purposes uh 12 stolen bases this year 28 home runs 92 runs 106 RBI for the Padres a ton of playing time too in the past uh past seven years he's essentially gone the full year this was actually the shortest amount of 60 games full last year 153 is the fewest amount of games he's had since 2014 for Manny Machado so absolutely steady here and I imagine you saw this thought oh yeah this is just a rock here in the third round oh yeah um he actually is one of just 13 guys that Yahoo 12 last year was also a true five category contributor and that he was mm. like 
above average among the players who would actually be in a starting lineup in that format. Uh, there's only 13 guys on that list. Uh, he's one of them. I really wanted to find as many guys who kind of function like that to fill out my team um, because I don't want to be chasing the guys who get 40 steals and might get hurt or might be bad or might stop running because of like a nagging injury. I want to just kind of like steady production. Now, the other thing about Manny Machado is that he's really good at the everything else other than just like getting you a couple steals. Um, his hard hit per PA as a hitter was fourth best in baseball. And that's, I think one of the things I really, uh, oh, probably not fourth best over the past two years. Uh, he was second best last year. Uh, so yeah, um, at just last year, 38.6% of his plate appearances ended in a hard hit ball. That's really meaningful to me because that's a mark of consistency. Um, you know, who's first there? It's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, last year, uh, Tatis and Seager were at the top. Those are the guys who are consistently doing things that are going to earn you runs batted in. They're going to get you on base. All the fun things that you actually want a fantasy player to do. Um, so, yeah, he's not just like selling out for power and then getting nice bright red sliders or whatever. He's got a sustainably excellent approach he's also had like one bad season like ever i think we kind of like had that down experience in his first season in san diego but he's really terrible batted ball like that year i mean um, that was yeah. machado's yeah first year 256 average was what we cared about but still 32 home runs and yeah the runs in rbi were about 165 combined as opposed to the hinting of 200 uh yeah but, uh, one thing that you did mention with machado um, was hard hit over plate appearance as opposed to bad ball events. If you guys don't know what Chase is talking about, you should definitely read uh, all of Chase's articles. I think I, I get the feeling that every single one references them now because they should. But um, essentially, Savant uses bad ball event as the denominator. That is, it, it says, okay, your barrels are based on how many times you've hit the ball. But we all know, wait, over plate appearance is way better because if you're striking out a ton and you're not putting the ball in play, then... Who cares how many what well, your barrel percentages? You're not making contact. You're not actually doing this. What matters more is on a plate appearance level how often you're doing it. Which intuitively it all makes sense to us. So Chase, at some point this off season, I'm, I was convincing him before the podcast to put out an article showing you guys all of those uh, players, um, so you can get a better sense of hard hit over plate appearance. We also found it's just, a, it's just a better version of the stat. So expect it a lot. On this podcast, um, having oh, yeah. played appearance as the denominator instead of batted ball event. Yeah. Um, the nice thing is that also same logic works for pitchers. Pitchers who strike yes. out a ton of guys are preventing them from hitting the ball hard. Um, so it's important to be good at preventing hard contact when you're not striking people out. But like strikeouts are a way to keep people from hitting the ball hard. Um, I don't think that should be all that controversial. Seems like it doesn't click for people as the default whenever they've seen it the other way around, and I get that. But you know, ultimately, what matters is you know, like how consistently can you perform? I want these consistent performers, both from my hitters and my pitchers. So, um, yeah, actually, I've built like an, my ERA estimator that I've been working on is built on hard hit pre PA. So, you know, there you it, go. Uh, and by the important. way, I do, I, I am really curious what that is for Robbie Ray because obviously the major. I uh, pushed back on Ray was, well, yeah, he's throwing more pitches over the plate, but he's getting hit harder because of it. Well, right. But what is it over plate appearance now because of his new approach? I'm very curious. I'm sure you have it in front of you. So I'm going to stall you as you do find it. You have it right now, actually. I do. I do right and now. What is yeah, it? So here he, we go. His hard hit per PA rate last year was 26%. Among the guys okay. who are at the super elite level, that is a bit above average. But um, so 
uh, for example, the guys that my estimator spits out him next to is like uh, Brandon Woodruff, Clayton Kershaw. They're both like Woodruff is at 20 percent. Kershaw is at 24. Cole is at 23. Um, and then like Scherzer, it's like 20. So yeah, he's a bit above average, but um, the strikeouts definitely help him putting his walk rate down pretty help 27 percent is league average by the way so he's still okay. below league average but he's giving up quite a bit of uh hard contact uh really quiet robbie ray doubts here he was really fueled by a great left off base rate so you would expect mm, of course more of his runners who reach base in the future to uh, score and that would probably raise his era back up into the mid threes but but that's still fine was really good. when you have that yeah. volume yeah, I agree. and uh and strikeouts but that this isn't the robbie ray cast and that's with adam howell uh, we're going to go on to his teammate, or at least his former teammate. We don't know where Robbie Ray is going to land at this point as we record this in the middle of October. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez uh, went in the fourth round to you as, hey, you got both sides of it. You might as well have just drafted Teoscar Hernandez in the first round and Mike Trout down here, Chase. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that would be really fun. Um, yeah, so Teoscar, would, by the way, another one of those true um, five category contributors. Uh, thanks to his few steals there his batting average is like the one thing i'm actually a little worried about he's been a little bit unsustainably high in terms of his line drive rate but he's on a couple years in a row so i'm curious to want to know if he's got like a good b swing but yeah he just pummels the ball um he's one of those guys who just has absolutely incredible power and that's the sort of thing that will help out his um batting average as well um so yeah i do have quite a bit of trust built in that you know he can sustain some of this like he was putting a hard hit ball into play uh 33 of the time same as tatis same as juan soto that's pretty good company um the strikeouts were improved from him he went from like 30s to like 25 percent, so that's really encouraging his lineup spot is an elite elite tool also yes um, he's batting like fourth or so for that blue jays lineup and like one of the best he's... lineups in the league oh. so you're gonna see 92 runs and 116 rbi easy at 12 stolen bases the same as machado also mm-hmm. um, you can make an argument that teosco should have gone instead of machado um was this a little bit because of the track record of machado or was it because of positional eligibility that you want machado first um it's definitely positional eligibility but again i actually think that machado's got a better chance of uh, having a better batting average uh, it's pretty marginal like it, it's going to be fluky one way or another um but yeah i just trust machado to do it a little bit more because again teoscar's had line drive rates that are a couple points above average a couple seasons in a row so the possibility of regression is pretty substantial again machado's one bad season he had like a 21 22 percent line drive rate league average is 25 things typically regress back to league average so teoscar loses you know like what like 20 line drives over the course of the season maybe that's like losing 10 or so hits yeah so it, it could knock down a few of those but he's still just really really good and right he's not I, just doing this because the ball is landing weakly in front of the left fielder absolutely and uh, it is really interesting Teoscar hernandez 52 percent swing rate is absolutely nuts essentially over half of the pitches he sees Teoscar is swinging at them that led to a 15 percent swing strike rate 34 percent o swing but still just a 25% strikeout rate. Is that something that you think is sustainable for Teoscar, this aggression? Uh, I have to think pitchers are going to know this more, going to throw more pitches out of the zone against him in, in future seasons and really, really lean um, on his aggression to uh, to try to bring down how many long balls they swat against him. Or reverse so it, I he think- swats against them. There you go. 
I think the two things that I will make this mostly sustainable ish, though, like I agree with you, like I don't think his batting average is going to stay like 290s or 300 or anything. Like I think he's going to be a 270 hitter at best. But his like 80% ish zone contact rate, which is a bit was a big improvement this year. Um, he didn't chase more, only a 30% chase rate. Uh, so that again kind of like leads to for most people about a t- mid 20s strikeout rate. Um, his zone swing rate is really good though. And he is being aggressive at pitches he should be aggressive against. He's not leaving himself um, exposed for called strikes all that often. You know, he's the sort of guy where if the ball is going to be close to the zone on the first pitch, you know, he should consider swinging at it more often than other guys should. Um, uh, And yeah, I I think that that's kind of like a little bit different from the sort of person who like whiffs, but also is choosy, which is a terrible combination. That's a horrible combination. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah, I mean, this call strike rate dropped uh, almost six points, mm-hmm. uh, actually more than six points uh, for Teoscar Nez, which is essentially him having a Z swing increase of about 14 ticks. So mm-hmm. that, that that's it right there for Teoscar Hernandez. Um, moving on to your fifth round pick. Freddie Peralta was your guy, and this is your second starter in the first five. There's a lot of debate about Freddie Peralta. I've been known as someone who I, I'm so conflicted. I see him pitch, and it's just so fun seeing how good he is, uh, how effective the heater is. The new slider, it was amazing. I had my question marks about, well, he doesn't have fastball command, so why would he have slider command? And that was just thrown out the window. Uh, he is ultra cross body with his mechanics. That is, he's on the first base side of the rubber, steps towards third, and then has a turn his whole body around which then leads to general chaos but this year he was in rhythm and it worked out to an amazing degree for the brewers do you think i mean i i think i'm, I'm going to agree with everything that you say about the believability uh of 2021 that is he deserved the success it wasn't complete like i mean sure 230 babip um fine hipper nine was 524 which we don't anticipate repeating uh for peralta but still I, I think from that, if we thought that he would have the ability again, it should be repeatable. It's just a question of those mechanics and how much you'll be in command. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. Okay. So my take here is actually that we should think the Babbitt is not going to regress as much as you otherwise would. Oh, okay. first thing is um, the Brewers, especially this is batting average and balls in play, not over the fence. Um, mm-hmm. But who did the Brewers sign last season? Uh, they already had Lorenzo Kane. They added Jackie Bradley Jr. And they added Colton Long. They have made actual investments in making sure that their infield and outfield defense are going to be good. So, yeah, the Babbitt makes somewhat more sense. He also had an absolutely dumb elite hard hit per PA rate. Um, 17% is wow. better than basically everybody. Let me actually do the sort here. So this is on people who threw at least 100 innings. Um, yeah, he was the best in baseball. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that led to him, uh, according to my estimator, being the f- fourth best starting pitcher in terms of future predictability based off of the results. Came in a tick better than Cole behind Nolan Burns, Scherzer, or Don. Um, I'm basically grading Cole on a curve there whenever I take him um, second among those pitchers. Uh, but yeah, this is definitely the sort of platform um, that I can believe in, even knowing that there's a little bit of like chaos there. Because, yeah, the walks, no one else towards the top is uh, anywhere near him in the walks. Dylan sees the only guy towards the top end of this like list that's uh, walking anywhere near 9.7% of their 
um, opposing batters. But yeah, he he's obviously doing th- some things that are leading people to hit the ball weekly at a good defense. In addition to striking out 33.6% of the batters he faced last year, that's yeah, a that's... pretty good combination. Um, yeah, there was nothing funky about his left on base rate either. He he just looks like a guy who is really hard to bat against. And he suddenly go- went from doing that in one to two inning spurts to like five inning spurts. And I like that. <laughs> yeah, so there, there are, he's there are the sort of guy I think I could bet on here. There are four pitchers that I, I'm pretty sure are just going to make me look stupid next year. Uh, I can't like, you know, I, I'm f- trying to fight the urge. Um, so it's Freddie Peralta, Logan Webb, Alec Manoa, and Shane McClanahan. You actually have two of them. Um, I am personally have been vocal about being in on Alec Manoa and Shane McClanahan. I have also been vocal about being out on Peralta and Webb. It is, it's a battle I always have, Chase, where with Peralta, I see one thing of being ultra crossbody, and I know the history of Peralta, too, is struggling with that. I also know of pitchers being in rhythm and the um, how that can fluctuate, uh, not only just in a season, but from year to year. And I see a guy that has the mechanics of someone that should fluctuate. Now, I will say... Uh, I am curious about the hard hit percentages from previous years because it was high Babbitt's over a, pretty much 100 points higher the previous two seasons. Walk rates have always been this high, but it's more about how he attacks batters and predictability and everything. And the slider does change that massively. So oh, yeah, I agree. maybe I- maybe that's just it. He's always going to be chaotic. But the fact that he was able to get uh, in the zone a decent amount more the fact that uh, he has a slider to mix up things, that could be it. That that literally could mm-hmm. just be it. And I'm just overthinking this with Freddie Peralta. He threw 144 innings this year. Uh, the Brewers certainly limited him by the end of the year. Um, and that's something to, you know, hopefully that we get 180 next year. And he doesn't necessarily have the same ceiling of, say, Zach Wheeler because he won't get a chance to go 200 innings like, like Wheeler would. Uh, but he's going out. You know, he's going after him. And by the way, the, the zone rates, just so you know, 48% this year for Peralta is much higher than 41% last year, but it's still lower than the 50s that he saw in 2018, 2019. Um, and I, 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 it's this thought in my head of, am I just being so dumb? And should I just say, go ahead and give Freddie Peralta? I might end up doing it. I mean, those hard hit per nine numbers are, or yeah, hard hit percentage numbers are just ridiculously good. Uh, and uh, Chase, you might do it to me. I don't know. I'm going to be losing sleep over this all year. Yeah, I, I will remind you, I don't want this to be greater on a curve, but I do want to remind you that last year you came on here and told me that oh, when no. I picked oh, no. Corbin, uh, Burns? Corbin Burns, that was that was a different scenario. So Corbin Burns, <laughs> this is we're talking about, of course, Freddie Peralta. Corbin Burns was me fighting all the urges of that. I, I love this guy. But from my history in this field, you can't, you got to go with the more safe conservative thing uh, where you know, Corbin Burns only had eight starts or whatever. And that's that. Yeah, no, it made sense. Uh, and, and it's, I, I, I still kick myself around for that one because that wasn't a guy who had bad mechanics. That was someone who was so clearly good. But it, again, that was also a question of rhythm. He was in rhythm for eight. I didn't know if he was going to still be there. He was. Newsflash. Yeah. <laughs> So we'll see. I mean, yeah, I could I could be kicking myself about a lot of these guys. We'll see through the offseason. But that's enough about Freddie Peralta. Fascinating guy. 
And there is something to be said also really quickly about because there is a haze, you know, someone like Jack Flaherty doesn't have as much haze to me. Um, and you'll feel you a sure? lot safer with that, but it's not as fun. Okay, sixth round. The the first seal of approval you're getting here. This is absurd because Max Muncy is still second base eligible. Oh, and a guy that hits consistently over 30 home runs from the second base position should not be going in the sixth round, especially this year where second base is pretty dang bad. Uh, yeah. After this, it's really Jazz Chisholm and then Tommy Edmond, DJ LeMahieu. Jorge Louis Polanco, Torres. who I got at the other side of, or actually not after the other side of the turn, it was like 20 picks later, is also second base eligible. So um, oh, I am contributing to this. I am making it worse. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but let's talk to me about Max Muncy, what you see. Um, Max Muncy is good. <laughs> are we ready to move on to the next player <laughs> no, i mean the most incredibly consistent 95 runs 94 rbi he's gonna be a 250 average we all expect that you know he just had the it may be a situation where he got hurt and he may have fell around because we didn't know in that moment yeah it was yeah. right around the time that this draft was going on but still i mean last three full seasons have been 35 home runs each there was 12 in 2020 which is again like 35 home runs it's yep. what he does you know, it, it's I don't really know what else there is to say. Um, I want to say that Max Muncy is a, an important player to me as a person in that he really helped me to understand why some of the old kind of guard statistics don't make sense. I remember hearing a podcast about him towards um, the end of the 2019 season about how his home run to fly ball rate looked like it was too high. And I thought to myself, well, isn't he hitting the ball harder than other people? Shouldn't more of his fly balls go out of the park? Um, so I just remember that discussion before i'd started writing kind of like being like oh yeah there is always room for wherever we are in the field for people to just kind of think about things a little bit differently and you know play around with some stuff i've heard yeah, to, a ton of to that really point, interesting important way. ideas from other people who don't write who just do this for fun and uh yeah it's always important to be for that yeah so sorry to interrupt you there uh to uh, to that point about homer football rate one stat that's isn't very uh, accessible at the moment, uh, but hopefully will be in the future, is fly ball exit velocity. Um, mm-hmm. Not necessarily overall exit velocity, just when you when you see a home run fly ball rate, understand what is the average exit velocity of a fly ball that they have, and then you might get a better sense of, oh yeah, he normally doesn't hit the ball too hard, but then he had a couple that went out or so. Then you think, okay, maybe that won't be consistent. Definitely pair those two up. Um, I'm willing mm-hmm. to wager that the exit velocity on Max Muncy's fly balls are very good. Um, that's why a 23% home run fly ball rate this year, 26% plus in 2019 and 29% in 2018. So, hey, yeah, he didn't hit his 2018, but who cares? He had 35 home runs in those other seasons. So yeah. all is good there. We're going to move on to Jorge Polanco in the seventh round. You get a seal of approval, by the way. Again, Max Muncy, done, easy. I think you got a decent amount because some of these picks, oh my God, later on, that you get. And not to mention, I do like... Teoscar Hernandez in the fourth. I considered him with my third round pick, honestly. Um, and I might actually maybe give you one there, but that's probably where Teoscar is going to go in a 12-team or so. Um, but yeah, he'll be I a agree. target of mine. Man, Machado is a solid one in the third round, too, and so on. But let's talk about Polanco in the seventh because he's always been, to me, as a discount shortstop, um, kind of as a backup later on through the rounds. 2019 really came through on that with 22 home runs, 107 runs, 295 average across 153 games. And this year, it might surprise a lot of people that he had 33 home runs, 97 runs, 98 RBI with 11 stolen bases. Once again, you have found your Machado, Teoscar Hernandez, and Polanco here. 
yep. Uh, surprise, surprise. Another one of those guys, true five category contributor. Um, part of that is because he just sneaks over in terms of average. Um, batting average taking down over the past few seasons has made someone who goes 269 slightly an asset technically some of the time i don't know i'm happy he sneaks in though um he's a guy who's always struck out a pretty low amount um somewhere between like 14 and 18 percent over the past five seasons so this time it was like 18.3 isn't his highest um but it's kind of close it was a pickup the big change for him though is that the power has continued to grow over the past few seasons um whenever he was uh playing pretty much full-time 2017 um we're talking a, a hard hate hit rate the thing i don't typically like but i'm gonna cite it here just because i can <laughs> of 25.8 percent. that's pretty bad that gave him a, a really really poor 301 uh, xwo bacon um he's ticked that hard hit rate on contact up considerably while keeping the strikeouts consistent and i want to say if you're using hard hit rate per batted ball event if the strikeouts hold steady and you don't have to consider that as part of the equation, then it still does hold for analysis. In this case, he's like had like 50% more hard hit balls than he did a couple of seasons ago. That's a huge change while basically keeping the same plate discipline. That's the reason that he was out of nowhere, air quotes, able to like pull off a 33 home run season. Um, you know, he had a pretty much full playing time here. Like he played in 152 games, 644 PA. So like this is probably about what you would expect for like a peak season again. But I think that he's about as stable as anyone you could possibly expect to try to pull that off again. All the underlying stuff here looks pretty normal. Nothing crazy. And I kind of also think the Twins offense is going to be pretty much fine next year. I, I think that people think that they were a disaster all around it was mostly just pitching uh their their hitting was pretty good yeah. so yeah he's the sort of guy who i think his platform looks like the exact sort of thing that i want to be investing in it also this is really nice i can throw muncie at first and then polanco at second if i want to put a short stop in or i can throw polanco at short muncie at second if i want to have a first baseman in and that definitely was part of the consideration later on that i was picking some more like marginal guys situational guys i really really like that flexibility yeah definitely i uh, so i generally don't go after the career year guys if you look at my draft oh me too uh, chase it's literally you know could have been drafted last year um jose ramirez freddie freeman trader per story George Springer, Altuve, Flaherty, J.D. Martinez. I mean, <laughs> you can even go further into Morton, Jansen, Hoskins. I go for guys that this isn't their first year really showing up on these draft boards. Now, Polanco is certainly has the expression of a career year. Uh, now, I will say that it doesn't come without indications. Um, the biggest one for me that is just flying off the page, I mean, outside, of course, the 16% home run of five ball rate, where he's pretty much... Yeah, he's always been a sub 10% there. It, it's the pull rate at 53%. And we're talking under 40%. And why I like pull rate is because I believe it does showcase a mental change of approach mm -hmm. of what you're trying to do at the plate. And it's not necessarily saying that your ability grew, that like you, you know, have a better eye or you got luck, you lucked into things. This is actually showcasing, okay, Jorge Polanco. Went up to the plate with a different plan of attack, and it came through for him. When I do buy into some career year, those are the kind of things that I'm looking for. It's not just, in general, uh, higher good rates. It's higher things that push those good rates. Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to believe that the pull rate is part of that. He also swung more 
Um, and that led to a higher swing strike rate, higher O swing. So he went for it. And that is what I believe brought down that average fly ball rate went up to 45%. That's a career high. Uh, it all looks good. Is it 30 plus home run? Good. Probably not. I, I would probably say it's somewhere around 25 is what I would say. I think it's a thing, you know, I, I can't buy into so much that it's all clicking. And it's just now this is the plateau. That's generally a fault, but it's not necessarily a peak that where it's going to fall down um, and be the trough of before. So it's, I, uh, yeah, I think it, I'm with it, you there. Yeah, it, it's going to be good. Um, the 11 stall bases feel like this kind of just like little cherry on top that I wouldn't mm-hmm. expect either. Um, but you're getting a shortstop or second baseman that 25 plus home runs should have around a 265, 270 average. I think the average is probably going to stick around where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, solid run production, the top of the lineup, solid RBI. Mm-hmm. So, so don't see this season to me and think, oh, I'm going to get like a third round talent in, in the seventh round. Think, okay, if I've missed out on the locks of excellent production, Jorge Polanco is a solid backup at both shorts up and second that I won't want to swap him out through the year. Does that sound about right? Yeah. He came out last year at about 25 bucks, according to my like value model. I'm buying him at like the $15 price. That means there's chance for him to outperform how much I'm paying for him. And if he's a little bit worse, it's not like I'm drafting him at like exactly how much he was worth. Actually, same thing basically for Teoscar earlier. It's like you're not paying for as productive as he was this year because we're probably baking in some regression. And right. that gives you a visible pathway to make profit on your choice, which Absolutely. is what I want. I don't want a guy. I want to pay exactly how much someone was worth after that career year and we don't have, thankfully have to do that if you're picking him at the 82nd pick so okay that's hori polanco uh we're gonna move on to the eighth round and that's alec manoa i really like alec manoa and i've been there he was a, a bit of a discussion with me in um in first pitch arizona i pretty much made it public that i want manoa more than logan webb uh, oh, yeah, because of the, the the fastball slider combination that Manoa has just seems a little bit more sustainable than the approach of Webb. I keep going back and forth on it. It's, again, the four guys that are going to make me look stupid. Peralta, McClanahan, Manoa, Webb. Um, what is your take on Alec Manoa? All right. So here is the part where I validate you. And uh, it's yes! not at all because uh, I work for you or anything. Uh, so, yeah, strikeout rate is excellent. Um, his hard hit per PA rate uh 18.7%, that's significantly better than people like Max Scherzer. Um yeah, the walk rate was a little high but not crazy. He was um yeah, somewhere around like the what is it? Like the 15th best next year prediction among guys who like actually had innings according to my model. So if I'm getting him which which SP was he off the board? He was somewhere in the 20s, right? Uh, um, I imagine around 2025 or something like that. Yeah, it's somewhere in there. So yeah, I feel like there's a pretty, pretty obvious path to him outperforming this. I like to remind people a couple other things about Alec Manoa. Um, people like to bring up how he didn't pitch in the minors, basically, ever. He threw 100 innings for University of West Virginia in 2019. Um, they didn't pitch him in the minors all that much in 2019 for a reason. I really think that someone like him, who was excellent, excellent in college, and who has a lot of really good tools, benefited pretty considerably by getting a lot of close coaching, like direction last year uh in the Mm. setup i don't think everyone benefited so much but i think that you know someone like him mental makeup if you want to throw something like that around obviously had to be really good for him to be thrown into the situation he did and just take off so 
I don't come at this from a, I know what his raw tools are in terms of how great his pitches are, but the data really backs up that the things that he were, he did last year were super sustainable. And yeah. if he can just be himself again, this pick can pay off. Absolutely. Uh, Alec Manoa is, uh, it's weird though. It is really just two pitches. I saw the debut. I was really excited because his changeup was thrown in these weird counts against the Yankees and whoa, he's got three pitches. He trusts at any moment and they're all great. And this is so exciting. And then the changeup was bad the rest of the year and just pretty much not used at all. Uh, but Manoa's slider and fastball, both of them returned double digit whiffs in the last two games of the year. And, uh, in, 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 you know, one in each one game, which is a terrible sentence. And I'm so sorry for that. But you understand they both have potential yeah, yeah. of taking off in a certain game. Uh, and the question is, is Alec Manoa going to be that same guy for another season? A 105 whip, 621 hit per nine. Those are both elite marks that we might not see again. Um, it's more of a question of can he survive like this? And you can make the argument that his change could get better while the other things are the same. What I've seen in the past whenever I've made that argument is that no, the good things get worse and the bad thing stays bad. But mm-hmm. I hopefully that's not the case with Manoa. And you'll probably go 160 next year, 170. Oh, yeah. something no, like I that trust him about a, to like pitch. 130 innings this uh, last year or so, this past year. So, yeah, the, the, the Blue Jays, I mean, they're going to be losing Ray likely. Ryu was not nearly what they wanted him to be. Uh, so it's just Brios and Manoa really in that rotation. It does seem like Manoa is going to be their sturdy number two. Yeah, 180 innings honestly could be a thing. We were trying to guess innings entering this year thinking that nobody was going to throw really more than 180. And a lot of guys did, and a lot of younger guys got pushed further than we expected because they didn't have a choice. They mm-hmm. had to do it, and guys weren't hurt. And they just said, you know what, we're just going to do this. You have to get your volume at some point. We might see that from Alec Manoa next year. So between Alec Manoa and Shane McClanahan, there's going to be a lot of back and forth there. I'm slightly favoring McClanahan um, just because of the the larger mix. But there is a case about Manoa going deeper for the Jays more often that I might be flip-flopping and and make that decision come February. So I am curious what your thoughts are there. Um, I actually have a question for you here. So he's listed as having both a four-seamer and a sinker. Does that mean anything to you that by StatCast at least he threw them about equally and to, to both righties and lefties? Does that change your he's just a two-pitch guy to he's a two-and-a-half pitch guy? Or oh, right. How does that yeah, change the calculus I for you? I sometimes say two-and-a-half. I... Not really, not a huge deal for me. Um, it really depends on situation. Throwing those sinkers, honestly, I want more four seamers. I just think it's a better weapon for him. Fifteen uh, percent mm-hmm. swing strike rate on the four seamer this year, just eight percent on the uh, the sinker. But it did have good results. Um, yeah, the run values were basically uh, WR- the same. Yeah, eighty-five WRC plus on the sinker, eighty-nine on the uh, the four seamer. Um, I mean, he's mixing it well right now. And sometimes when guys do throw sinkers and four seamers, there aren't these massive differences. Like how you throw it is different. So the four seamers will try to elevate more. Sinkers will try to jam inside more and both have their time and place. I generally, when I see a sinker, I think it should be a 10 to 15% usage. That's essentially inside to write the same handedness to surprise them. Uh, starting inside on the plate and off of it. And 25% of swing is kind of that. For Manoa, you want to see about 30%. Those are the elite ones, but that's good. You don't want to see the sub 20% on those swing on sinkers. But so uh, this is fine. Uh, you know, uh, that could change over time. It could be something where the sinker gets that's uh, messed up for Manoa next year and then he starts throwing more four seamers. But mm-hmm. two and a half, maybe. 
I, I I like to say two and a half more so when there is clearer separation, I think, between uh, real usage for them. Yeah. The the one thing I want to note kind of as like a closing, I don't know if I'm actually right here, but it looks kind of interesting, is that there's really big differences between the observed and measured spin on his like um, sinker and four seamer. And they come out spin based about the same, but then they're observed as like wildly different. And he's throwing them in somewhat similar places. So I do wonder if that presents a pretty interesting sort of confusion to batters where they think they figured out where the, the fastball is going to go and then it doesn't go there. And that itself might be leading to some of his ability to suppress contact. Absolutely. Um, I might, it wouldn't I might shock me if that's more. the case, but I don't know for sure. For sure. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's there's five inches of movement difference uh, horizontally on the four seamer end and sinker. Uh, something to think about there. Four inches of depth on the sinker as well. So, I don't know. I got, I'll look into this a bit with, with Manoa. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting point that does help him be more than just that two-pitch pitcher. Good stuff mm-hmm. there. Um, and versus McClanahan, to go back to that, uh, were you contesting Manoa versus McClanahan or another pitcher instead here? Oh, those were the two I was looking at. Like That was it for me as I was looking at those guys. Um, ultimately, I just had a little bit more worries about mcclanahan's like health longevity sort of stuff and i just thought the track record of what manoa did was so much substantially better than like anyone else forget the other oldish guys who are available here like i guess i also kind of like looked at pablo lopez i looked at lance mccullers jr i looked at you darvish i looked at uh shohei otani i looked at dylan c's like all these guys who went in this huge picture run after this i looked at them and i just thought that alec manoa was better than them and yeah yeah i guess also the kershaw worries kershaw goes directly after this and i was just worried about what the deal was going to be with kershaw so. oh yeah of course the talent level if kershaw i mean i get the same amount of innings i just feel safer with kershaw of course but yeah. that's the major question and you hate getting a question with your third starter um so let's move to your ninth round but before we do we're going to take a quick break Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well, from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball, even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. All right, so your ninth round pick is JT Real Muto, and I absolutely adore this pick. Talk to me everything about JT Real Muto. Okay, so you should draft a catcher early every year. Uh, people who don't draft catcher early and who wait on it are people who are waiting to lose their league, in my opinion. <laughs> like, it's, it's, I don't think you need to pay full price for the best so, guy in the world. You know, I, I, I drafted a catcher. In the 22nd round, right? You know, I right. did that, Chase. Okay, cool. Cool, cool. Yeah, please continue. Yeah, yeah. Yes. No, no, I mean, <laughs> please. I feel very comfortable making fun of you in the little th- bits of things where I, you don't know things because Absolutely. you're so much better at the other things that you can kind of just dish it back. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Real Mutu fits like exactly what I want out of a player. Um, he's going to 
hit in a good lineup spot. He's going to play almost every day. He's going to run a little bit. He's going to, uh, you know, potentially gain PAs next year with the potential DH coming. He had a slightly down, but not really down last year. I think his team could get better. Like all of these other factors, like just make him come together. And here we see him slipping from his like ADP last year, like around 50, 60 to this is outside of the top 100. This is a gift. Um, if you can get a elite tier catcher and I'm putting Sal Perez at like on his own tier, but like the guys who are in the second tier, real Noto, a Will Smith, um, even Yasmani Grandal, I, I would say kind of fits in there. I think that those guys, maybe Buster Posey, I have a little bit more like, is is he back? Questions. But if you can get those those guys where they are going in our draft, you are in an exceptionally good spot, especially in head-to-head leagues where the big worry is how many PAs can you get on a weekly basis? I think that a lot of us got really good catcher value. All of them should have gone two rounds earlier. And, um, uh, Really, it's just my pick of the bunch. So strategically, you don't need to take the first catcher off the board. If Perez had slipped a couple of rounds further, I would have pulled the trigger on him. But yeah, you can bet there's someone in your draft room who's like really an uncatcher like me. Don't feel like you need to pay up at price. Get the guys that are good values. That's why people who win their leagues are consistently drafting catchers high, but not highest. Right. Yeah. Seal of approval for a Muto. Real Muto. I was upset to see him go. I think I was I was just too tempted at Charlie Morton uh, to say no, no yeah, to that yeah, I, one. I get it. Yeah. Uh, but I, it's... You missed the top tier guys, I think, and then picked other people that I thought were good in that same range. There were multiple yeah. ways to win. I just think that consistently the people who fully duck catcher have problems. I, 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 I this agree with like you. NFBC it, it, analysis where people will be like, oh, yeah, just punt catcher entirely. And then it just can't work. Like the gap between no, round especially... and the bottom is huge. Well, that's a huge thing. So, I mean, my my whole thing about 12-teamers is um, you can find the replacement value pretty easily. You mm-hmm. can't in catcher. Mm-hmm. So, it's I, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> I don't want to consider it. I, I certainly am someone that generally will pay some sort of premium on it. I, I think... When uh, when uh, the one I'm really actually upset about is not necessarily real Muto, it's Kenley Jansen, where I wasn't as astute on uh, the uh, the catchers available and should have taken Will Smith there, um, mm. the the catcher, not the closer, um, or mm-hmm. just Monty Grand down the tenth just to avoid that. But uh, I was in too much confusion, and generally my rule is when you don't know who to pick, you pick a closer. Um, so real Muto, I think. Ninth round should rebound a little bit. 263 average is a little bit down. Mm-hmm. You can also make a uh, suggestion about the plate appearances could be slightly up with the DH in Philly. There are some options that Philly does have. Reese Hoskins and even some Harper days off where he would go into DH. But I imagine Real Music getting some extra plate appearances as well in that position. Um, so, that I mean, that's also a case to be made about Will Smith and Buster Posey, too, being among oh, for sure. this tier. Um, for that same reason, but Real Muto should be sturdy, should help, should be way better than whatever you find, way better than Eric Haas, who I took in the 22nd round and thought it was Mitch Garver, or at least I thought Mitch Garver was gone and he wasn't, so I just completely messed up catcher, and I will make my fun of myself. I will make fun of myself in every single podcast I do here. I, uh, but yeah, 13 stolen bases. I can't ignore that either. That doesn't hurt. Um, that's one every other week from Real Muto, and that could be the difference in your head-to-head leagues. 
But all right, seal of approval for Real Mutant. We're going to go to the 10th as you get your first closer. I love this one, Ryan Presley. I was hoping he was still there when Kenley Jansen was taken. When I said, okay, I'll take a closer, and Presley was gone, and I was not thrilled about it. Um, where does he rank among your closers? Liam Hendricks, Josh Hader, Raziel Iglesias, Raldis Chapman, Edwin Diaz were already gone. Uh, there's been some talk about Giovanni Gallegos being a higher closer as well. Um, uh, Class and uh, Will Smith went after, as well as Kenley Jansen. Here's Ryan Presley, smack dab in the middle as the sixth closer. How'd you feel? Um, I have him ahead of Chapman. I don't have him ahead of Diaz, so I'm I have him about on par with Iglesias. I think he'll be in like the spot to be like the third or fourth guy off the board at closer. Again, for these like weird value positions, I always want a guy that's up there, but not the first one because the first couple you're paying at their ceiling, the next few you're in a position to actually have some benefit. Presley's been really, really excellent for Houston for several years now. He is not a guy that just is a closer on a good team. You know, he's demonstrated he's got the full package of skills there. Houston's a really good team. They're going to give him a lot of save chances. They like a traditional closer. What else could you want, really? Um, You know, he's going to be a guy who's going to strike out somewhere in the low 30% of batters. So he's not like Diaz where it could be near 40, but he also comes with a considerably greater amount of consistency. I don't worry about him. Um, there were a couple other closers that I would have considered here, I guess. Um, I do like Jordan Romano. I can't find him on our board. Oh, that's because he's listed as an, as an SP. He went a couple of rounds after this. Uh, so yeah, I, I like Jordan Romano considerably more like than where he went. Um, but yeah, I think that overall, we did a pretty good job of drafting closers about where they should go. And then roughly in a reasonable order. So um that this is kind of like opens up a new discussion i think for like how this draft went is that i think that people did a good job which made finding a lot of these value picks really hard and i had to really think about who i wanted to take here and in the next few rounds because like i didn't have obvious targets so I, I i like it but every time i take a closer i'm just a little bit scared i gotta hand it to this uh this crew i mean we, we put together this one in particular uh because we respected everybody here all part of the podcast network uh, but that they would look at this mock draft and not just go, I don't know, some random guy like I did at one or two picks. I'm so sorry. But no, I that everyone actually put some good thought into this um, and knowing that they were going to have to defend themselves on this podcast. And it makes for a very excellent discussion as we go into 2022. And, you know, it's actually kind of cool. A lot of people, you know, this is the first true 12-team mock draft that's public. Um, so there's going to be a lot of things pulled from this. And then we're actually heading down to the 11th round, which is where... Uh, what do you know? Your picks were judged by the uh, Launch Angle podcast. Uh, so 11 through 16, the, uh, the the two hosts, Jeff Zimmerman and Rob Silver, along with me and the crowd, all got to select a player from each round and talk about them. And in your 11th round pick, well, guess what? Rob Silver took yours. That is Sonny Gray. How'd that make you feel, Alex? Um, I joked online that they just did my job for me for pretty much all of my picks for my analysis. Um, I'm glad to have provided some content for y'all. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I felt really good about Sonny Gray here. Uh, so why why did you go with Sonny Gray? He's not someone that I would be taking at this point. I think there's a little bit too much risk with uh, the volatility that we see every single year with Sonny Gray. The breaking balls have not always been as good. Uh, there have been times this year when he succeeded because Sonny Gray had a good fastball that day and not because of his excellent curveball or the slide that changed to a cutter because his fastball worked. And that's not the ticket to success. We know that. 
So is this going to be the the endless uh, journey for Gray to try to figure it out? So the thing I really like about Sunny Gray is I'm going to just take everything you said and make it sound nicer. He's found <laughs> multiple different ways to succeed, and he's shown over the course of his career that he's been able to succeed in multiple ways. He's always been a guy who's been really good at limiting hard contact. This is his second year in a row since I've been tracking where his hard hit per PA rate has been a dumb elite here again, 20%, but he's also striking out 27% of batters. Now it was like 30% over the past couple of years. I, don't, I wonder if there were some changes league-wide that might have affected some things, but still two distinct, excellent models for success. I also think that there are a couple obvious standout problems he faced this year that can get better. He had a pretty bad left on base rate luck. Uh, he was 72.4% of his like runners left on base is not great. Um, so that's the sort of thing where he got unlucky there. Um, and I think that will help out his ERA and his whip pretty considerably. I also think that Cincinnati just trying to put um, some capable defenders in the field behind him next year might help him quite a bit. Jesse Winker exiting the outfield, Eugenio Suarez exiting shortstop could really help him. He doesn't need to be an ace to make this pick work, but he's shown that he has all of the tools that I will believe in like consistently throughout his time in Cincinnati. I absolutely trust him to throw innings as well. So even if he like has a stretch where he does not perfectly have all of the pieces of his arsenal ticking, I do trust that I'm going to want to send him out for the next matchup. Also, it's the NL Central. Like, that's the sort of place where I can trust someone to, like, you know, if he's not feeling it, a couple of those starts are still going to be against opponents. They'll still trot him out there for it because they're just not good. So everything I could ask for from a person around this round, he takes it off. I think you're overjudging him because he was in that upper tier for you. You're seeing him as someone who hasn't done it all to, like, be perfect instead of being a guy that can be really good well okay so since 2016 and i'm gonna not include 2020 because that's just weird and i actually well it kind of even fits in as well one season one season he's had a whip under 120 and that was 2019 and that was also the only season that he's pitched over 165 frames uh sunny gray to me has a storied history uh, figuring it out in a massive way and then losing it in season. Um, it, it's, it's, it doesn't spell to me someone that, that can actually take that leap to be a legit SP2. And when inside of these drafts, I know it's the 11th round, you're saying, Nick, you're not looking for an SP2 right now. You're looking for an SP4. Yes, but I generally take pitchers that should be able to have that kind of potential of being that SP2 that I can actually rely on. I, I don't, think that Sunny Gray is going to take that leap. And there is a chance, and you know, it isn't fair to say that there is no possibility that he can repeat the 287 ERA, 109 whip, 29% strikeout rate in 175 innings from 2019 for Sunny Gray. That's that would be foolish. I I want to think that it's well, I'm I'm trying to say that there are more options around here to me that have a cleaner path to being a, a stable number two, number three through the year. See I really struggle with this because I don't. Um, I don't trust a lot of the guys who went after him, and that's what made this very difficult for me. Um, I think, you know, if I was looking here, I looked at Husker Unala, I looked at Ian Anderson, and I have, well, you know, it's really just down to, like, is he the guy he saw he was before he broke his hand? Um, but for a lot of these other guys, I don't know if Michael Peck is going to be starting. I don't know if Luis Severino is going to be healthy. I don't know if... 
Chris Bassett, actually, he was the guy I looked at here, but I think Sunny Gray and Chris Bassett's ways of trying to succeed are very similar. And I just like Sunny Gray's package a little bit better. This all just comes down to, for me, if he is the same, a little bit turbulent guy that he has been, how good is that on average? And ultimately, he grades out as a guy who seems like he was a cut above of the other options. And I just know that he's more the sort of guy that I, if I believe in the work that I do, he's the sort of guy I got to pick. Sure, and that's that going to make him yeah, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, the only thing I'd say is the scales or the 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 spectrum I say on either side of it is a little wider for the mm-hmm. other guys, while it's a little bit thinner I think for our, our shorter uh, for gray. Um, mm-hmm. So that that is why I might say well you know, well Shane Baz went earlier in the round, but yeah, Kopech I think has a higher ceiling to hit. Sean Manaya showed it off for months. Uh, this year of actually that ability. Same with San, uh, Patrick Sandoval, for example. Luis Severino was available. Mike Clevenger was available. Um, a, a couple other guys as well. But that that's kind of where that mentality is. But you make a really good point that there isn't really a clear cut. This guy is going to be better than Sonny Gray this year. What, what are you doing thing here in the 11th round? And I'm actually going to go to the 12th here, which is maybe someone that has a higher potential than Gray here in Justin Verlander. Um, this is a pick where, just like closers, I feel... This is going to shift so much by March. Uh, relievers, they're going to be more sturdy cases. Who's going to have those roles? And Justin Verlander, well, is he throwing 95? Is he sitting there? Does he have the capability of pushing it later in innings as he used to? Is he okay? We don't quite know right now. Yeah. I think the queerest green light I've seen, though, is uh, Astros owner uh, Jim Crane saying that they anticipate, they plan to give him the qualifying offer, um, which tells me that they see that he's probably healthy enough at this point in his long recovery to be worth investing a considerable chunk of change in. Um, I do also, and this is very unscientific-ish, think that Justin Super, or Justin Ferlander has a bit of kind of like the old man Superman vibes where he just isn't actually getting older. Where his body is better at recovering from injury and more durable than some other people have just because how else would he have been able to be that good at his age a couple years ago right that's kind of just vibesing it out more than i usually do but also like if i'm really really wrong i have four starting pitchers and if i'm really really right i could win my league and i don't want to take sixth so yeah, you know, it, let's go for it. Oof, it's so hard to figure out exactly where that point is i say it every year okay there are the injured guys hi what's up at some point, that cliff hits where you have your four sturdy ones, the ones that you trust that you are not dropping through the season. Once that hits is when you go into Upside City, 12-teamers, and that's generally where Clevenger, Verlander, Severino, Syndergaard will fall. Syndergaard's the clear four to me for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Nothing mm-hmm. a slider, all that kind of stuff. Wasn't that amazing recently before the injury, um, before the Tommy John? So, yeah, it's it's up to you where you feel comfortable with your current staff that you're saying, all right, if I get zeros from this guy and I have to drop him, well, then I have to drop him and I'm okay and I am I have enough of a starting pitching rotation foundation that I'd be fine without it. We're going to move on to the 13th round. Now, CJ Crone was the pick who, once again, was selected uh, in that uh, in that mock, mock, mock of the mock drafts by the Long Jangle podcast. So talk to me. CJ Crone got the contract, I believe, before your pick happened, that he'd be sticking around in Colorado. How do you feel about it? Um, 
I'm going to dig around in this draft and kind of compare him to where other first basemen went to show about where I think he went. Ryan Mountcastle went in the ninth round. I think I would draft him about the same spot as Ryan Mountcastle went. I like him better okay. than Cody Bellinger. I like him better than Josh Bell. I like him better than Reese Hoskins. And I like him better than Derek Walsh. I think he is the sort of guy who's going to go up three or four rounds. Um, he's exceptionally consistent previously in terms of hard hit per PA, right? And also, like, he was one of the guys that was, like, the top of the barrel per PA rate for a couple of years um, before his kind of, like, excursions around the league before finally landing in Detroit. He's got a ton of talent. I think Colorado is a great place for him in that, you know, he's the sort of guy where I could actually want to start him when they're on the road. But in a head-to-head format, thanks to the flexibility I built with, like, the Muncie-Polanco setup, I could totally swing him if I feel like he's got some bad matchups on the road and I could just throw Muncie at first. So I thought this was a great, here is where my team comp pays off. But yeah, he's really good. I actually do like his batting average upside because of course as well. So that's something I think we're kind of underwriting. He could be a 280 hitter there again. And yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a pretty easy, he's the guy I draft to help me win in the way I'm trying to win. So one thing I should mention, CJ Crone does struggle at staying healthy. Mm-hmm. And there has, uh, uh, this is pseudo analytics. I'm sorry for this. There's been a lot of talk about Colorado playing in there. It's harder to heal essentially because of the thinner air. Uh, only 142 games this year, missed 20 of them. And it might be a problem for Crone next year. Missed a lot of 2020, only 125 games in 2019. 140 is essentially the career high that he had in 2018 before this year. Mm-hmm. So if you are drafting Crone, have a plan like Chase has here. Uh, that's the one pushback I'll have because I think anyone saying a full season of Cronin in course, yeah, this should be really productive. Maybe not the 281, but you make a good point saying, yeah, he shouldn't be a 250 hitter in course. Um, I think that's yeah. an excellent point. So you could see 180 runs in RBI combined, something close to maybe 170 or so like he did this past year, but that's that's great. And uh, the other mention I have to, the other thing I need to say though, first base is deep. There are there are a lot more than there have been in the past. I remember last year thinking, oh, I don't really have many guys I want to trust. So I'll get Freddie Freeman in this draft. And then I realized, wait, there's Josh Bell is not bad at all. Reese Hoskins, not bad. Jared Walsh, Brandon Belt, Joey Votto, Anthony Rizzo, 20th round, Spencer Torkelson. Uh, even Eduardo Escobar had himself a decent season. Bobby Dahlbeck went in the 16th round. There's a lot of options at first base. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to jump for Crone, if you're saying ninth round value for Crone for a guy that could be hurt, then I don't know if I'd be leaning on that. But 13th round. Yeah, I don't I don't see anything wrong with this. That seems like a great pick. If he's healthy in the spring and he finished this year healthy and playing well, I'm not worried about it. That's typically my way of thinking about this is like um, if you get hurt. You know, we talk about injury prone guys as maybe having a harder time recovering, but a redraft, if you get hurt, you're going to miss time. And those people, if they get hurt, they'll miss time. It, it's just all over the place. Uh, so I'm also, again, one of those people who just doesn't care as much about injury risk because I think we overrate how much it hurts someone's value, um, right. typically, whenever we do production stuff. Sure. And a 13th round is also when that doesn't hurt you nearly as much with the way you mm-hmm. structure your team. So you get a seal of approval. Uh, Joey Gallo in the 14th round was your next pick. Uh, walk us through your thoughts here. Um, I'm a long-term Joey Gallo lover. Um, I don't actually think he benefits that much from like the short port or anything in New York. Um, but I do think he's going to benefit a bit from lineup there. He was 
also just stupid unlucky in terms of like there you know there's a lot of different times type types of unlucky there's the the balls that i hit landed in a fielder's glove more often than they should have luck there's also launch angle luck and that you don't actually control how many pure line drives you hit and how many sweet spot balls you hit all that much and he just had a terrible go of it in new york in a small sample there i think that better lineup protection and you know just being settled there he's like this is what we wanted right we wanted an elite elite 50 home run threat guy in new york that's left-handed and he's yeah, I, I don't know why he would possibly have slipped this far when he was going with inside the top 100 last year, I think. Close to it. He definitely went that high in like my PL staff league. Um, so yeah, I am I just feel like this is exactly the sort of pick that I want to make if my catcher has a good batting average, if CJ Crone has batting average upside. You know, if I drafted a bunch of guys up top, he should have a high batting average. It's also head-to-head. Like, it's a couple hits every week that determine batting average. If you're worried about him sinking your team and head-to-head, just don't. It's not going to make you lose the category that often. Right. Um, yeah, with uh, yeah with Gallo, um, I think I think people entering this year had him ranked that way because of the 250 average in 2019, and were willing to throw away the 220, thinking, okay, it won't be a 200 batting average. It might be 220, 230, and then when you pair that with 35, 40 home runs, then all of a sudden, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Now, he did that, 38 home runs, and Gallo also had 90 runs along the way because of the high 350 OBP, but it was a 199 average. And yes, I'm with you that, you know, batting average is a little overrated at times in head-to-head formats. Um, same thing with stolen bases, in my view. But uh, it is a factor. It is something that we mm-hmm. do need to, you know, not ignore. If you just have a full team of just low-average guys, you are going to lose it more than others. Um, yes. So you just have to have the right balance for it. It does seem like you have the team for it. Vialmuta, Polanco, uh, Machado, Trout seem like that. I mean, not Muncie as much, but you are leaning towards him. I and Crone should not hurt it. So you should, you know, you should, I don't want to say how much it'll help, but it, it shouldn't hurt. So Gallo is the first pull down, but it's not a case of, oh no, you have too many of these. So yeah, right, great, I imagine I would be here. like winning it forty percent of the time, <laughs> or something like right. that, maybe. And Just then try, you know, stealing away the other four. Uh, now Tanner Houck is the fifteenth round. So now we've we've gone past this point. We've gone past the point of stability in starters, and you've shifted now to what I like doing, which is all about upside here. Fifteenth round, Tanner Houck, and that slider. Uh, that's got to be what's pulling you to this pick. Tanner Houck is a my model says he's really stupid. And I had after him the guy. He 30% <laughs> strikeout rate this year, 7.4% walk rates, and 21.1% hard hit per PA rate. His okay, so my ERA estimator had him as good as let's talk about the guys in the same vicinity because it's really funny. Henley Jansen, Giovanni Gallegos, Yu Darvish, Dylan Sees are like the other guys in the same bundle, projecting him for like a three, four, six going forward would be like the the idea here. So yeah, if you look at his other estimators, like XERA has him at like a 322 based off of this year. He had a 258 FIP, uh, a 32 X FIP, all back all lower than his 352 ERA, which was good. So he had a really terrible left on base rate as well, which is really funny. 66.3, which means like 34% of runners got on base against him scored. That's not gonna happen again. Um full stop that like cannot happen <laughs> like that just doesn't happen uh repeating um so like those are the things i'm looking for i want guys who consistently 
generate or strike people out and generate soft contact. So yeah, he he generated like a win, if you will, then like 71.6% of his uh, plate appearances against his opponents. Really good. Um, and I just think he starts next year. So I, I think that's it. He's good. He's I think he starts. I picked him. So there's there are some concerns. Uh, the first one is how much is he going to start or how long is he going to start really for the Red Sox? Mm-hmm. Not one game was six innings from Hauk this year um, when right. he did have his opportunities to start. And I think that is a product, not necessarily of the, the Red Sox saying, hey, we don't want you to start or go long. You threw 90 pitches in multiple games uh, this mm-hmm. year, 89, 90, 90. And each of those, it was five innings for the 89, 4.2 innings when throwing 90 and 5.1 uh, for throwing another game of 90. And that is an expression, another 87 there, 4.2 innings, 85 or five innings. It's a showcase of his overall inefficiency. Uh, Even the slider that has a 36% CSW has a decently high ball rate as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the four-seamer isn't this massive put-away offering 94 mile per hour pitch, uh, 246 batting average. It's, It's serviceable, it works, but it's not something that gets me excited about Hauk. And I, for me, I need to see how really take the next step with the slider. It has an excellent CSW, but it's not the devastator all the time. It is a little inconsistent in some ways reminds me of the, uh, the Jose Barrios curveball of being mm-hmm. this clearly, obviously fantastic pitch when it's working, um, but isn't always there to carry him. And the thing that made Barrios really good was, Oh yeah, his fastballs turned it on and really made a difference. Um, I think the slider is a little bit better than Brios's curveball, but still, it it it, it close, you know, is that close enough of a comparison? Um, I, I worry about that. The depth of repertoire isn't that great. The changeup is awfully mediocre to me, um, mm-hmm. and and that's really a split change as well. He throws in there too. It's just a lot of I don't know if there's um, something else that needs to happen uh, when it comes to how it's not just the opportunity. It is an ability improvement needs to come with it. And I think there are some other guys um, that like Sixto Sanchez, for example, 16th round went the bigger. The question with him, there's a reason why everybody is down here. Um, the question oh, with yeah, Sixto sure. is, is, well, OK, or is he going to be starting out of the gate? That's the question. And that's an easier question for me to answer um, if I have that player. You know, I envision myself April, May. I've drafted this guy. How long am I lasting? Am I, am I, how long am I holding him on my team if it doesn't work right away? And, you know, what are the things I'm looking for to make that decision? Because after the four, everyone else you draft is ready to be dropped for the next hot thing. So yeah. uh, Hauk is, Hauk right away could have like a six inning game. I'm like, all right, I'm good. We're done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everything is fine. But I don't know if we're going to get that. That's the only worry I have. But yeah, I'm excited about Hauk. I mean, that's such a good slider. We've seen some ridiculous games in the past from Tanner Houck, and it's because of that slider. Uh, and I, I just hope that we see it again in 2022. Right. He's my bet for a guy who can be the next hot thing in, in April. That's where we're at at this point. He would be my sixth starting pitcher, but like, let's call it my fifth and a half because we don't know what's going to go on with Verlander. Um, sure. And that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I did definitely think about that same idea as I kind of went on. Also, just a note here. I picked a Boston pitcher every other round for three rounds, starting with Tanner Houck. I don't know how I did that. Um, oh, my. You did. Yeah. yeah so we're going to talk about that one in the 17th round in a second. But before that was Dansby Swanson. Uh, Swanson added 
surprisingly good year, I think, for people that aren't really paying attention, like me. Hi. 27 home runs, 88 RBI, 9 stolen bases, 78 runs, a 250 average or so. I One of the better discount shortstops, we were talking about it on the other podcast, how this is kind of the last one that you can rely on. Maybe O'Neill Cruz, because that's a really fun one. The guy just mashes the ball. Um, and will be shortstop for the Pirates probably next year. But talk to me about Dansby. I think everything they said on the launch angle pod is exactly what I was thinking. He's the last shortstop I trust at all. He is going to be in a pretty good spot in what's going to be an excellent lineup. He's going to score enough runs. He's going to hit enough home runs. He's going to have enough RBI. He's going to have enough steals. And I think the batting average is decent for him to go in the 16th round. This is pick what? Like 183? Yeah, he's the sort of guy who could be a 10, $12 guy who... I'm paying three or four bucks for like at this point, like this is all just dart throw at this point, even in 12 team. I mean, I realize there's still like several more rounds, but the curve for how value falls off. Like these are all just like guys who could be on your bench and are worth about a buck. I think he is great help in the flexibility thing as well. I could start him at shortstop if um, CJ crowns out. So I want this like the other thing. This is like, I know that if I'm worried about my first baseman, I need to have a backup plan. CJ or, or so crone and Swanson kind of actually pair together really well for me mentally yeah. in that exercise. Yeah, I see that. I mean, that's, that's really what it's about. And Hey, if you don't need it, you can drop them and move on to something else. Uh, so We're let's flipping. move on to something else. I, uh, yeah, Eduardo Rodriguez, 17th round. Talk to me about this one. Eduardo is not someone that I personally will be chasing. I want to hear what made you go after him. Do you have a strikeout rate in front of you? Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, a strikeout rate? Yes, I do. 27%. Okay, so I can't make you guess. No. no, you called him a Toby. He's not a Toby for me. Um, Yeah, he struck out 27% of batters last year. He's basically everything I said about Sonny Gray and a considerable things, a considerable number of the things I said about Tanner Haug, you know, left on base rate is going to get better. He struck out a lot of guys and the hard contact was better than you think. I have a, I have a model for the sort of guy I think we are going to systemically miss on next year and i wanted to get a bunch of them um now i also just think that he's the sort of guy who like the innings are kind of nice uh so yeah let's kind of like review what, what my stuff says about him 27.4 percent uh strikeout rate good seven percent walk rate fine 21.9 percent hard hit per pa rate great all that lines enough i have three six was the estimate that that pull, pulls out um so like, let's see if there's some other starters in the same area lance Lynn and shohei otani check i'm willing to take a gamble on that he may not be young but the odds that he is substantially better than the cost that i pay for him are really high yeah i don't uh first of all yeah you're right should not have called him a toby because the strikeout rate is too high i uh, generally toby is around a 20 percent or lower strikeout rate I can't call him that if he's a, as if he's a 27%. I can't call him that in previous seasons, 25%. So it's definitely right to call me out on that. The uh, I, I guess I talk about him being a Toby in the ratio side because it's just it's disheartening. Um, the 4.75 E rate, 139 whip. Sure, you can say that, oh, it's closer to probably to a 4 for Eduardo. But I really... I think that those lying on Eduardo Rodriguez to be a 3.5 ERA guy or really try to reach that because essentially if I'm getting a starter here, I'm trying to reach for the stars. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get someone that is that um, at all, all times, because if you have a four, two ERA and a 12 teamer from a starter, that's going to bring you down. Um, and I, 157 innings is awfully low for a guy that's made 32 appearances this year, 31 starts. 
Okay, uh, and, and that there's actually a ex- really easy counter to that, though. He had a okay. triple left on base, right? Again, which is raising his whip, which is raising his ERA, which is lowering the number of innings he threw based off of how many batters. I understand. I, yeah. I know it's a seventy percent left on base rate, but other guys have had worse left on base rates without this bad of uh, uh you know bad of uh, innings per start ratio. And yeah, two games were one really inning. Bad bad That's it, the last he? one. I really want to say thirty-one starts, and there is one of one inning. Uh, his Babbitt was 363, but it's never really been exceptional. It's 317 in 2019. Uh, in 2018, it was 300. Same in 2017. Eduardo Rodriguez's approach uh, is fastball changeup cutter. When mm-hmm. he's on, the, the cutter sneaks in for called strikes. The changeup is getting a ton of whiffs, and the four-seamer is commanded both sides of the plate. What well, we saw more than often than not this year fastball was able to be located the changeup was not present and there wasn't enough that allowed eduardo rodriguez to go consistently six with good ratios it just wasn't Mm -hmm. there i am not willing to gamble that we'll be able to say never mind all of that eduardo rodriguez is fixed and he's fine moving forward we've had seasons that 381 era in 2019 it was over four it was well over four before uh, the end of August, essentially. Uh, in the middle of August, Eduardo had like six starts that changed everything. And as a starter, or sorry, as a manager, you're not going to hold on to that starter to get that. You oh, know, yeah. no, it, I agree it's with going that. to that be a massive headache for you if you have Eduardo Rodriguez on your teams. And I'm looking at other guys. Look, I took Jose, uh, Jesus Lazardo in the 18th round. I could be dropping him the second or third week. But if that hits, then I feel a lot more confident week to week. And if it changes, then I get rid of Jesus. I don't think that Eduardo is going to give you something that's going to dictate things are fine and okay early enough in the season. And that that's why I, I, I that's why I'm leaning more on the Toby side of it. That, Cause that's how I say the same thing about Toby's. And that's probably why I said that before he's not strike every too high. Totally get it. But it's that, that that's why it's this, I guess, hipster, Headache-inducing starting pitch with a stifle the entire roster. That's uh, that's certainly something that Eduardo would do. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. Um, and, and again, I, I'm looking at him as this is my seventh starting pitcher off the board. Um, right. I very much know what I am doing when I'm picking him up from expectations sort of situation. I just wanted to make sure I had a guy that I could count on for innings uh, to kind of like have some difference compared to like the other sorts of guys that I was drafting, which are the this guy is a rookie or this guy has some other wart and. I think he's going to be really good. Uh, so you know, pick your battles. He's just a different sort of wart than some of the other guys were. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think a lot of the things that made him bad are the sort of like, this could maybe not stick up. I do think he is not an, an SP2 or an SP3, but I think he could be a really, really valuable SP4 or 5 if it all hits right. I'm happy to drop him. And the strikeouts also, it's like, look, I'm, I'm going after strikeout guys. I want to win strikeouts. So that's definitely a memory. Fair enough. Uh, all right. So I, uh, first of all, different sort of warts sounds like an amazing album. I, uh, in the 18th round, you and Andrew Vaughn, who was on my list. Um, I didn't make a cue. All of you guys made a cue and I, I just trust in my head and it messed me up. I did not make a cue either, actually. Oh, look at you. Uh, but you had Andrew Vaughn, who was certainly on my radar. Uh, and I want you to talk about, uh, you know, his rookie year a bit and a possible 2022 for Andrew Vaughn. 
So um, some fun things about him. I actually talked about him a bit uh, when I recorded last night uh, for Dugout Study Hall with uh, Zach Hayes, who, you know, pulling someone who cares about the White Sox. I'm going to yeah. make them talk about Andrew Vaughn with me. Sure. Um, so Andrew Vaughn's first 200, 250 or so plate appearances this year struck out like 25% of the time. Towards the end of the year, that was down to 15% of the time over a 200 plate appearance sample. That is a huge change. That's huge growth for a guy who like never saw a professional pitch above high A. And he also basically throughout the year just crushed the ball consistently. We're talking about 89th or so percentile in hard hit PA over the entire season, even with that rough start. He has incredible tools. And the only thing standing in his way is Tony Larissa. If he bats every day, I think he could easily, easily be a top 100 hitter. He could be better than CJ Crone easily. He could be my first starting first baseman here, or he could be better than Joey Gallo, depending if Joey Gallo just loses it. So yeah, he was absolutely a target of mine. I believe in him so wholeheartedly. Um, he doesn't have to be better than he's already been. He just needs to play. Yeah. Seal of approval. 18th round, Andrew Vaughn. These picks here, I got to mention again, last six rounds. I mean, really the last eight rounds. Look at your drafts from 2021, everybody listening right now. Try and look back before they delete it for next year and see who was on your team um, from around 16 or later. Just, just even as far back as you want. See how long those players actually stuck on your teams. And then you'll realize, oh, right, I should be taking chances here because those guys are not the value plays, not the ones that win me my leagues. So take an Andrew Vaughn who could do that. You could actually you know, shoot for the stars here. Take that flyer. That could work, especially if Vaughn is constantly playing maybe fifth, sixth that lineup or something like that. Maybe he oh, yeah. finds his way higher up as well. We'll see how the, the White Sox lineup uh, fills out. I uh, come April absolute seal of approval here for Andrew Vaughn. We're going to move on to the 19th round. You got one closer. So you pick two in the next three and it starts with the other Red Sox pitcher, Matt Barnes. Do you think that Barnes is going to close? I think he gets seven or he gets 20 saves over the course of 2022. I don't know if they're like all in one bunch. I don't know if they're like committee, but he's under contract and that's the big thing. Um, he had a rough end of the season, obviously, but his his tools are there. I I think that, you know, the Red Sox look at their situation. They probably keep Whitlock in a sort of like fireman role. Barnes maybe starts the year as a closer because he's going to be under contract. And I kick him off my team in the first week if he's not good. This is more of a it's October. All of these other guys that I could bet on might not be on a team. but don't have an obvious path to one specific role, maybe. Or, you know, there's some other warts. There are a lot of other guys that went ahead of him I like better. So I didn't feel great about either him or I'm just going to go ahead and say I take Jake McGee after or two rounds after this. I don't feel great about either of them, but like you should never feel good about the closers you're taking if you're drafting them five months ahead of time. So I, I'm not worried right. about it that much. I'm not mentally docking myself too many points for drafting some guys I don't a thousand percent believe in. But, you know, Barnes does strike out a lot of guys and, you know, they're going to pay money. That's it. That's all it is to me. Really, I uh, just use this as 19th round. I will take a reliever. Don't doesn't matter who it is. If it's Barnes, cool. Can be swapped out in March, whatever. 19th round will be a closer. Same goes with 21st. I imagine if you want to talk about Jake McGee really quickly. Um, he's under contract for less money. He also faded late in the year. So I'm a little more scared about him. There's a reason I took Barnes before him. But at this point, I was just like, I want a guy who is on a good team and has a role potentially so like camilo duvall goes in the 18th he was on my list to be clear i like him um but yeah mcgee 
they're going to pay him like $3 million next year. I imagine he's on the team. He'll, again, I think he'll get 15 saves. I don't know if they're in the first half of the season. I don't know if they're in the second half of the season, but I think he saves 15 games. Yeah, I really like the Duvall pick by uh, by Chris Weber. Um, and you know a lot about this, of course, doing the bullpen depth charts article once a week this year, sending me the bullpen notes uh, for the first pitch podcast, which was very lovely. Um, every, every, I believe Thursday morning, I got them from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, now 20th round before that Jake McGee pick was Chris Taylor of the Dodgers. Who's getting a bit of a playoff tax. I think right now, um, he's certainly looking good and taking some incredible at bats here in this, uh, NLCS and did so as well in the NLDS for the Dodgers, uh, 20 home runs, 19 runs, 73 RBI and 20 and 13 stolen bases kind of fits that potential of Machado and and Teoscar Hernandez as well. But the 254 average is not ideal. Um, talk about Chris Taylor, Alexander Chase. I didn't know who else I wanted to take that would be third base eligible. That's really weird for him. He's an outfielder most of the time. He's a second baseman a little bit less of the time, but he has like just enough third base appearances it's amazing outfield second short and third eligibility yeah so i just needed someone like him to be the somebody's not gonna make the team or get hurt or something and like in real life i if i were drafting this early i would want to make sure a guy like him who i think could find him his way into like 80 percent role on a good team or maybe a bigger role on a less good team and we'll have a ton of eligibility will just help make my roster work early in the season if then couple guys get hurt or whatever else it's he slides into a role and i can pick up whoever off the wire rather than like having to pick up someone's like specific to some sort of like particular role i end up going like two three four deep at some of these positions just because like i want some flexibility when i'm uncertain and overall i think taylor does enough things pretty well um that he merits inclusion on this roster I also just take a ton of shots on some guys who I think are pretty speculative in some different directions. So I wanted some stability. Sure. That may, that makes a lot of sense. I, I don't know if I'll be leaning on Chris Taylor to me. It's not the kind of guy I go with because it seems I don't want to be in a position where I'm starting Chris Taylor next year. Likely. Uh, but he's on my bench at this point though. Right. I'm not a bench bat guy. It is for some people that way. I'm just not someone that does that because I would just want to get more starters because I think they ultimately provide more bet value if you hit. But it depends, of course, where your skill set is. And my skill set is pitching, so I don't do the bench bats. Anyway, um, play to your strength. That's always the most important piece of advice you will get. 22nd round, and I love this pick. This is Grayson Rodriguez, um, prospect pitcher. And I always joke that, no, they don't exist until they make the majors. But very highly touted uh, for the Orioles. And who knows, maybe Grayson, given how the CBA plays out, could be starting right out of the gate for the Orioles next year. We have no idea. It, was that taken into consideration for this pick? Oh, absolutely. I, I wanted to make sure I picked at least one guy who's not like guaranteed to make an open day roster because I want to talk about the CBA stuff. Um, <laughs> there's no, like, I, I mean, when I, when I talk about I the stuff it, that Chase. I care about, yeah. Um, I care about the numbers, but I am also just like the things I care about in baseball are, are the people. Um, I watch these games because I want these people to succeed. Um, and Grayson Rodriguez, being a Baltimore Oriole, I, I call myself like a Camden Yards fan. I have a hard time being an Oriole supporter sometimes because of how things have shaken out there. But, you know, I want him to succeed so badly. And he has just blown everyone away in the minors. Based off of past results, he should be starting on opening day. Um, and I really hope 
there is a CBA that gives the Orioles no incentive for him to be in the minors um, for the first two weeks of April. Um, because as is, April 16th or so would be about when the Orioles would steal an extra year of um, of team control. And, you know, we've seen that happen. In, in 2020, it was like, you know, a week or so until a team's like elapsed enough service time. And I, I think we saw Spencer Howard get called up like basically without missing a start, but they like got service time eligibility taken away from him. So I am really hoping that the CBA shakes out in such a way that they don't have any incentive not to. And I kind of think that if it doesn't, that will have been after a very ugly and probably drawn out lockout uh, under which he would miss one start. So I don't see a situation in which Grayson Rodriguez is not playing a meaningful role for a fantasy team pretty quickly. And best we know, he's going to be really good. Um, So, you know, he's exactly this guy you got to take a flyer on. And I, God, I, I really hope that we're not in a situation where him and, uh, you know, you can scroll up a lot of guys who have just as much potential to just totally break out and be devastatingly good. Uh, or went higher, like Bobby went in the 12th round here. Um, if we know that Grayson Rodriguez is on the opening day roster, like there's no way he's going in the 22nd round. Right? Absolutely not. Not a chance. Uh, so, I mean, that's, you know, that's the kind of play I, I, I'm trying to figure out a good way to phrase this for the entire time. And I was thinking of it like this. Um, if you could press a button, okay, so you have you have two options here. On the left, you have a guaranteed of $700,000, okay? Guaranteed. You push that button, you get it once, you don't push the buttons anymore. On the right, you have a button that gives you either $0 or a million dollars. And if you push that button and you get $0 in two days, you can come back and push that button again, right? Would you be pushing the left button or the right button? And for me personally in fantasy, I'd be pushing the right button because that's generally how you're treating these last eight round picks or so. Yes, you can get something that will be above average with the 700,000, whatever it is. I, or you can get, I mean, I got to phrase this better of like making sure 500,000 is acceptable, but you understand the point that you're essentially shooting for a higher value ultimately, and you get more chances at getting it later. Grayson Rodriguez Mm -hmm. Potentially, I think you'd agree, if he's starting, it's going to be likely better than Eduardo Rodriguez for your teams. The better oh, yeah, rod sure. here. And that's that's the kind of mentality that I want you guys to have is look at the table on the top 150 starters that I put out. See how many amazing pitchers were better than Eduardo Rodriguez this year on the waiver wire. Grayson Rodriguez could very well be one of them. And put yourself in the position to get those instead of settling for an E-Rod. I don't know why I'm landing on E-Rod. I just happened to do that. I don't mean anything about oh, yeah. that no, target that pick for you. He's, so that's just a mentality. The contrast Grayson, too. Right. And Grayson is a really good player. That's a seal of approval from me. I think that's going to be a hot, hot topic. And will be a, a, a flyer for all drafts come draft season. I have a very late in my top 175 because I just put all the prospects there. But... I would. Yeah, I yeah. think I put Grayson first of them. I I got a. I should remember. Yes, I did. One sixty nine. So that <laughs> likely will change. Um, there's a hundred beforehand. Alex, come on. And no, no. I, it's, it's thinking. It's like okay, he's the one hundred and sixty ninth best pitcher. Oh, I see. Yeah. On your board. That's funny to me. I wasn't laughing. Well, at it's time. not. It was just of like I'm just. Hey, you can be starting and be dope. It's just like don't forget this. This is probably going to change. And let's not talk. Let's talk about this another time because I don't have any stash 
prospect plays out of the uh, for my top 100 yet yeah um, i like the way you change. handle that actually it's very clear that we don't know and putting him anywhere would just be an average of a lot of crazy things so just holding it separately so that he like it's no, easier yeah. for people to talk about it just seems more natural so yeah, i trust I like that difference. people understand that i will prefer these pitchers over chad cool and dane tunning and brad keller and Luke <laughs> weaver it's just about you know we'll follow the news and we'll see what happens so we're gonna go to your last pick your 23rd round here robbie grossman is there and robbie grossman had himself a season 23 home runs 20 stolen bases what do you know it's another one fits that power speed combination chase yeah he's i think the guy who stole the most bases that's on my roster um (laughs) yeah but like more than anything that just goes to show you don't need to pretend that stolen bases aren't available late they have flaws but so does everything else available late like you can get batting average late michael brantley went in the 20th round i think akil badu will probably steal some bases he went late um you know you can rhino tapia right these guys are going to steal um there are guys who hit a ton of home runs that go really late there are going to be guys who are going to lead off for bad teams or hit like fourth or fifth for bad teams that will stack up counting stats and the approach that people have, I think, to steals is really, really driven by that NMFBC mentality. Um, I would not be shocked, actually, if if Robbie Grossman went substantially higher than this, especially in, in NFBC settings. Oh, like, absolutely. Flip him with Chris Taylor in your mind, and I think that's actually a pretty fair sort of value proposition. But, you know, I also picked him because I think he's good, and I believe in it. He's probably in about second. He's a switch hitter, and he's going to, like, play every day for what I think will be a pretty good, like top portion of that detroit lineup um torkelson could be just substantially better than the way if they've had not line up and really really unlock some things but you know him and riley green but even then like grossman was a good hitter um and you know if you're just showing up in the lineup that often you're hitting enough home runs you're stealing that many bases like you're gonna have a role in a team like this so i didn't really know what to do like i realized i now have one two three four five six outfield eligible players and i'm like i know i'm not gonna play all of these guys but i feel really comfortable dropping chris taylor if i need to i feel pretty comfortable dropping matt barnes or jake mcgee if i need to i feel comfortable dropping eduardo rodriguez you just gotta walk out of this sort of drop doing some of these guys are gonna be droppable depending on whatever else i want to pick up but i do feel really comfortable if i have to put robbie grossman into my lineup and that's also what i want to do here so, as a last about. round flyer that's a seal of approval to me grossman i mean who else is gonna i don't know you're not gonna get a 2020 guy in the last round normally right, like, and that's, that's kind of crazy online. to me and the idea that this is now grossman forever um average wise is i don't know i mean just the ability to do that to hit for power and steel bags is just so rare in the 23rd round that and you got that it's just yeah that's a seal of approval to me I was joking, being quite cruel online, actually. Like, he's basically what we expected out of Kevin Biggio, like, last year. He <laughs> was going, sure. like, 60th overall, except he's outfield and not second base eligible. Like, that's it. He did exactly what we expected. Like, the, the batting average isn't great, but go 2020 and, you know, get enough counting stats. And I think he... Let me pull, pull this up, because I think it's it's worth finding really quickly. I think he had... um. He had like a $5 season by my metric, but still that's like substantially better than last round. Last round or those are like bench guys are like a dollar or so. Um, so he's producing about what I paid for Dansby Swanson. That's yeah, that's, good. yeah, that's really good. All right. So there's 23 rounds. You got six seal of approvals, my Lord. I, 
amazing. I think that all of them were hitters, though, non-surprisingly. Yeah, that's uh, not true. You gave me one for Grayson. Did, did you give me one for Manoa? Oh, Grayson. For Fair. No, I did not get one, one for Manoa, but I, I feel that's the one I would have taken at that point. But eighth round is probably where we're going to see Manoa. So it wasn't an exceptional, like, oh, my God, we <laughs> have to be noting this. Um, how would you rate your team on a scale of 1 to 23, Chase? Okay. So I think whenever I do this, I always give myself points off for anyone I missed. I don't give myself bonus points for doing really well. I don't know if that's fair or not. I don't I don't want to give myself a full point for my closers. I don't want to give myself like a point for Erod. I just kind of took him. And I feel pretty good about him, but I just feel like I know that I'm going to drop him. I don't know. I'm going to give myself a 20 out of 23. I thought this was a really... It felt really not stupid whenever I finished doing it. And um, I felt there was a lot of capacity to feel stupid after I walked out of this draft. Absolutely. Um, and I feel pretty good about it. So I love your first 10 rounds. I think I think you did a great job with that. Trout, Cole, Machado, Hernandez, Peralta, Muncy, Jorge Polanco, Manoa, Real Muto, Presley, Sonny Gray. Uh, yeah, Sonny Gray is where it starts to go a little, little weird for me. Um, and the rotation is, I think the, the thing you have to answer the most, but I think your hitting is exceptional. Uh, so, I mean, it's also my biased view of your pitching too. Um, with the, the question marks of Peralta that I still cannot decide and it's going to drive me nuts the entire off season. Um, as I think and watch and continue with that one, I'm going to, I think I'm going to try and watch like every single Freddie Peralta game. Uh, same with Logan Webb. I'm just going to do that, and maybe I'll do a Twitch stream or two on it. We'll I, see. Can I throw you my Logan Webb data and make you feel weird about that? Because I know that'll sure. only make you let's, feel worse. Let's do it. Why not? Um, yeah, so um, Logan Webb's hard hit per PA, 25.7%. He allowed a lot more hard contact than you think, and I'm a little sure. bit wary about that. Okay. There there it is. Uh, is there any other, any other tidbits about Logan Webb? Uh, I mean... The strikeouts, I think, during the playoffs are really encouraging. I don't know how to weight that in mentally, but um, changeup was way better all of a sudden. Uh, yeah, and yeah, it was and I think that's focused. In the season that's worth remembering in all these good. cases. You know, people uh, change. People make choices that are different. Data yeah. is wrong typically whenever people make choices and invalidate it. You know, I don't think people's true talent always change a lot that that we can really pick up so much as just that they they end up in different situations like i have to talk about keston here on like every third podcast i ever do i swear <laughs> because you know he made this change in the upper minors to like stop hitting for contact and start trying to hit for power and he hit more power and we didn't adjust for it in terms of like how that would affect his batting average all that substantially and his batting average suddenly stunk pitchers do the same things we have to be wary about how active choices all the way along in these different places are going to show up so logan webb can choose to pitch differently um, he could also just choose to throw his pitches differently. The biggest changes happen in the off season. So like, that's why we're going to be substantially more wrong about how someone is going to be on the first game of next year than we would if they all played a game in a week. Um, so I get why people like what Logan Webb is doing. I think that the playoff tax is going to be pretty high on him. I imagine I won't get him. And there's a not insubstantial chance that he makes us embarrassed. But I would say... I have to trust a process that I've built like this to tell me I will end up with him. I, just like I have to trust a process that tells me Alec Camillo is going to be really good or Freddie Peralta is going to be really good. So, well, what's on, the best you on can do? that, on that Alexander Chase, I, I probably would give you about a 19, um, something like that, 18, 19. I'm very highly ranked. I, I very rarely go close to the, the full 23. 
So, yeah, I really do dig this team. You just got to figure out the pitching a little bit. But, hey, that's the easiest thing to figure out, right? That's so paid for some of the start. There we go. Um, all right, Chase, uh, thanks so much for being here today. And, of course, everybody listen to Alexander on the Dugout Study Hall podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Chase underscore rate. Is there anything else that you're working on that you would love to tell everybody about? Uh, yeah, I have one last thing to really sneak in here. Um, I'm working on a change to CSW. Um, oh, wow. CSW instead of over total pitches per PA. Seems like it's much more stable. It gives a little bit more predictive results. Oh, I cannot wait to see that, Chase. Oh, that's going to be a lot of fun, but that's going to do it. For today's edition of the On the Corner podcast, on behalf of Alexander Chase, my name is Nick Pollock, and we'll talk to you guys next week.